0: There was a young man who was working in the produce department of a local grocery store. He was approached by a customer who asked if she could buy half a head of lettuce. No, ma'am, he replied. The good Lord makes these in whole heads and that's how we sell them. The customer grew frustrated. She said, I have been a patron of this grocery store for years. All I need is half a head of lettuce. I want you to go to your manager and ask if he'll give me permission to buy half a head of lettuce. The stock boy was more than frustrated, but he spun around, stormed to the front of the store, gained the attention of his manager, and said, There's a lame brain idiot of a woman back there, and she wants to buy half a head of lettuce. The manager began to gesture to the stock boy, indicating that that lady, unbeknownst to the stock boy, had followed him to the front of the store. The young man turned around. He regained his composure after seeing the woman, said to his manager, and this nice lady would like to buy the other half. (laughs) Later in the afternoon... The manager came up to the stock boy and said, what you did earlier today was the finest example I have ever seen of thinking on your feet. Where did you learn how to do that? The young stock boy said, well, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And if you know anything about Grand Rapids, Michigan, you realize that that's a town that's known for its really good hockey teams and its really ugly women. The smile on the face of the manager quickly evaporated. He said, my wife is from Grand Rapids, Michigan. To which the stock boy said without hesitation, which hockey team does she play for? Has your mouth ever gotten you in trouble? If it has, you are not alone. Today we come to James chapter 3 verses 1 to 12 and Pastor James focuses his attention on the words that we speak. I invite you to take a Bible, turn to James chapter 3. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. James chapter 3. I'll begin reading at verse 1. I'll conclude at verse 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep A world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it, we curse men have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, to the preaching, to the understanding and the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. Whoever said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, was a moron. Obviously, that person had never been on the receiving end of a verbal tirade from an irate spouse. Obviously, that person had never been on the tail end of a frustrated parent who began to uh, verbally address the child, lodging words in that little one's heart that would last for a lifetime. Undoubtedly, that person had never had a verbal confrontation with a coworker. Probably had never played any organized sports, having a coach dress him up one side and down the other for an apparent mistake on the ball field and that coach speaking words that are dripping with disdain and disgust for your mere existence. No, I have experienced and I have observed that sticks and stones they can break my bones and words can hurt even more severely. James, the pastor spoke frequently about words in chapter one he's already written we've already studied where James said be slow to speak quick to listen slow to become angry later in chapter one James said if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet cannot keep a tight rein on his tongue his religion is useless another word for useless is worthless Later in James chapter 4, James will tell the congregation, brothers, do not slander one another. Why does he have to say that? He has to say it because brothers and sisters are slicing and dicing each other's reputation with a few poorly choiced words. James says a lot about what we say and how we say it. In our passage, James says that the tongue has the power to direct life. The tongue has the power to destroy life, and the tongue has the power to delight life. First, James says that the tongue has the power to direct life. Just because the tongue is small, don't think it to be insignificant. Medically speaking, your tongue is a two-ounce slab of membrane. That's it. It's pretty small, but it's not insignificant. Whether you weigh 70 pounds or 370 pounds, your tongue is relatively small compared to your body. I know that some of you have fatter tongues than others, but still your tongue is small. On average, it's a two ounce slab of membrane. That's it. But just because it's small, don't think it to be insignificant. Your tongue has the power to direct life. Pastor James uses two illustrations to prove his point. He says, take, for example, bits that we put into the mouth of a horse. That small little bit can turn the entire beast of burden. Or take, for example, a rudder that's on the bottom of a large sailing vessel. That rudder can turn a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, and it will adjust the direction of that entire ship. You stop and think about the fact that a horse can grow up to be about 2,000 pounds. And it doesn't matter if it's a 70 pound girl riding atop that horse. She can turn that massive animal wherever she wants that horse to go merely by a little gentle to the little gentle tug to the left or a tug to the right. She can cause that animal to come to a screeching halt all because of the bit that shoved into that horse's mouth a rudder is the same way a ship is large it's driven in those days by massive powerful winds yet the pilot of that boat can direct that massive sailing vessel wherever he wants it to go merely by gently turning the rudder to the left or to the right James is telling us that your tongue it has the power to direct life it's small But it's not insignificant. The words that you speak can speak life into somebody else. The words that you speak can speak life into you. As I was going over my sermon last night in my mind, a personal example came to memory, one that I had forgotten about for years. By now, it's been 25 years ago. I was in college. I was engaged to Jane Ellen. I knew that after college was seminary. Being from Kentucky, I just assumed I would probably go to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary located in Louisville, Kentucky. That's where all the preacher boys go in the state of Kentucky. I thought I would just go to Southern Seminary. And had I gone there, I think I would have fit in nicely. I think I would have felt at home right there in Louisville, Kentucky. But before making that decision, I had a conversation with Jane Ellen's pastor, his name, Ted Sisk. I sat down with Dr. Sisk and I just asked him, if you had it to do all over again, where would you go to seminary? We had a great conversation. I'll never forget that he said, if I had it to do all over again, I think I would at least take a close look at a small divinity school located on campus of Sanford University. It's called Beeson Divinity School. It's not that many years old, but it's got a sure footing. It's got good leadership. It's got a good financial foundation. It's got a good spiritual heritage. It's located right there in Birmingham, Alabama. I think you may do well just to go check it out. And I went. The rest is history. I visited Sanford. I uh, gained an audience with the then dean, Timothy George, we sat down, had a great conversation in his office. Uh, he asked me about my life and my calling. He told me about the founding of Beeson Divinity School. I, I felt an instant connection. He, he said, we are a place to produce pastors who can preach because Mr. Beeson sat under a lot of pastors who could not preach. So he wanted to put his money in an organization that would help to train pastors who could proclaim the word of God. Man, when he said that, that just struck up an, uh, a fiery ember in my spirit. As I thought about and reflected on that conversation that I had with Ted Sis nearly 25 years ago, as I thought about that last night, the reality hit me that had I not gone to Beeson Divinity School, I may not be standing here as pastor of First Baptist Pelham. And I would not have gone to Beeson Divinity School had I not had the conversation with a wise pastor that I respected well, Ted Sisk. It's a great example of how words have the power to direct life. Conversations that we have with other people. Sometimes we think it's a passing comment. Sometimes we think it's an insignificant conversation. And yet they may interpret our conversation as wise words weighted from the Lord. Sometimes we have conversations with people and it helps to direct the trajectory of their life. They come to us for wisdom. They come for us for act, uh, words of, of advice. And we speak words to them. And it's a word that directs their life. Of course, if you are in Christ, let me just remind you of the words you spoke. I don't know how many years ago it was, but the words that you spoke when you said unto the Lord, I am a sinner and I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and I invite Jesus to come in and to forgive me of all my sin and Lord, I want you to be in charge of my life. When you said a few words, something like that, however many weeks or months or years ago that was, those were words that directed life into you. Life not only here in this world, but life that is eternal. Words have the power to direct life. That's what Pastor James is saying. Words may be small. You may think they're insignificant. Your tongue, small as it compared to other parts of your body, it's small. But don't think it's insignificant. It packs a punch. Because words have the ability to direct life. I think the gravitas of this was weighty on the heart and mind of David. And that's why he said in Psalm 141, set a guard over my mouth, put a door over my lips. What is David saying? David is saying, God, I know my heart and I know my mouth. I know I can run off at the mouth. I know I can flap my gums. I know I can say things that are just insane. And so, Lord, whenever I open my mouth and if I'm about to say something that's not of you, will you please put a guard, a soldier, will you station somebody there that will shut me up and arrest me? And God, will you please put a door over my lips? And if my lips start flapping, if my gums start yapping, if I just start going off at the mouth, if I just start saying something that is just stupid, Lord, will you please just shut the door that's over my lips? Friend, can I ask you a question? If we prayed that same prayer, would it affect our conversations? If we prayed that prayer and said, God, please, will you put a guard over my mouth? Will you put a door over my lips? Would that affect how we speak to our spouse and how we address our children and how we talk to our parents and how we interact in the marketplace and what we say in the stained glass windows and outside the stained glass windows? Oh, God, will you please station a guard over our mouth? Lord, help us because we know that the words we speak They have the power to direct life. Secondly, the words that we speak have the power to destroy life. Once again, James uses a couple of analogies. He says, uh, words are so small. Your tongue is such a small part of your body. But yet, a great forest fire is set ablaze by just a spark. It doesn't take much to set a forest on fire. It doesn't take much to begin a blaze. And, and, and when there's a fire, what is left is destruction in its wake. It destroys everything. And sometimes we speak words and they are destructive in their capacity. They are destructive in their nature. And sometimes I don't think I'm the only one who I say something and I really wish I could eat those words back because I know that they're not gonna land well. I know they're not gonna do very much good and it's gonna, it's gonna create a spark of a fire that's gonna destroy and not be beneficial. I don't think I'm the only one who's ever done that who acknowledges that words can be so small and yet such a spark that ignites a fire. James also says that your tongue is full of venomous poison. And sometimes we spew verbal vomit and it is as poisonous as a snake. Let me ask you a question Would you drop a brood of vipers right there in the living room where you live? No, that's stupid. Who would do that? Let me also ask you this. Would you unleash a roaring lion to walk up and down the hallways of your house? No, that's dumb. Who would do that? Yet James says, the tongue is like a fire that's set ablaze. It's like the poison of a venomous snake. Many people can tame many animals, but no man can tame the tongue. We say things that are so harmful. We say things that are so hurtful we wouldn't dream of, of letting loose a lion or a tiger or a bear. Oh my, a lion, a tiger, or a bear up and down the hallway of the children's wing. We think to ourselves, no, we've got to protect the nursery. We've got to protect our children. We wouldn't let a, a roaring lion go over uh, to the annex and, 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 and wreak havoc upon our students. No, we wouldn't do that. That would be so dumb. Why would anybody do that? And yet James says, why in the world do we allow our mouth, our tongue to speak such poison? one to the other, so that the end result is sheer destruction. With our mouth, we can destroy a person's reputation. With a few poorly choice words, we can slander somebody. We can gossip about them to the point that they will never recover. We can utterly destroy a person. Just by the words we speak. James says that um, your tongue, it, it has the power to direct life. It also has the power to destroy life. At the end of this service, we're going to elect eight deacons to serve the next three years as deacons of this church. And about once a year, uh, I give a little pep talk to the deacons. And if you're a deacon here, you've heard this little pep talk before. Where I stand in front of the deacons and I tell them, when you become a deacon of First Baptist Pelham, proverbially speaking, we give you two buckets. One is a bucket of water and the other is a bucket of gasoline. Because uh, when you have conversations with people and when you overhear conversations of our brothers and sisters here in the church, sometimes you need to use that bucket of water and douse that conversation. It's of no good. It needs to be doused out. And you as a deacon, you need to douse that conversation with water. Other times you're going to engage somebody in conversation and they're going to have a great idea. It's a good ministry that they want to get up off the ground. And you as a deacon, you're going to douse gasoline upon it and you're going to fan it into flame in a positive sense because this is something that needs to happen here at the church. The difficulty is knowing which bucket to use at an appropriate time. Because sometimes you may use the water bucket when you should use the gasoline bucket, and sometimes you may use the gasoline bucket when you really should use the water bucket and douse something out. So every deacon has two buckets, but guess what? So does every child of God. All of us are equipped with those same two buckets. And sometimes we use our words, and instead of dousing out something that is sinful, we fan it into flame. And instead of fanning into flame, something is godly. We have the cold blanket ministry and we come and we douse it with cold water to try to stamp it out. Oh, my friends, James reminds us that the words that we speak, they have the power to direct life. They also have the power to destroy life. Sometimes we are guilty of using that two ounce slab of membrane. And we are just vicious with each other. Sometimes it's in the home, sometimes it's outside the home. I dare say that if any of us could really truly get behind the closed doors of our brothers and sisters, what we would see and what we would hear would probably be shocking and maybe embarrassing if we're just being real honest. Because sometimes things are spoken behind closed doors, between husbands and wives, between parents and children, children to parents, sibling to sibling. Sometimes things are spoken, and let's just be honest with you, it is not very directive, it is really quite destructive. Sometimes what happens is what psychologists call escalation. See if this fits any scenario that may go on in your house. The meaning of escalation... um, Sounds exactly. It means exactly the way it sounds. That let's just say a husband and wife they're having a conversation. That conversation uh, kind of bleeds over into a disagreement. The disagreement then launches into just a good old fashioned fight, and they begin to uh, they they begin to escalate. The frustration wells up within them. It begins in the pit of your stomach, but you can feel it as it rises up it comes up through your torso and you can feel it and it's about to come and it always be a humdinger. I mean, it's really going to be a good one. I mean, we're really going to have a World War III kind of experience that's going to happen right now. And it's just kind of rising up inside of you to the point that your neck vein begins to bulge and your eyes begin to pop out and your face turns 17 shades of red and you really kind of get excited and your conversation gets snippy and short and really curt and you begin to just really kind of point, just kind of like I'm doing right now and you really kind of get aggravated and frustrated and then all of a sudden you just explode like a volcano. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? And sometimes what's left in the wake of that destruction is harm against the wall or against the dog or against the chair or against the wedding china. And you walk away from that scenario and you think to yourself, why did I say that? Why did I do that? How did we allow it to get that far? Psychologists would call it escalation. You know what Pastor James calls it? Poisonous venom. It's just verbal vomit that we spew. And sometimes we think it's okay to spew that on our spouse. We say things to our spouse and our children that we would never dare say to a brother or sister in Christ or a boss or a coworker. Or anybody else who would really listen. And we think it's okay for us to have that kind of conversation behind closed doors. Pastor James would say, there is no appropriate place for verbal vomit. Sometimes, psychologists say that what happens is not necessarily escalation. But rather negative interpretation. Negative interpretation is when you employ the terms never and always in a negative sense. You never do this. You always do that. It's a wife who says to her husband, you never listen to me. You are always working. It's the wife. It's the husband who says to his wife, you are never in the mood. You're always consumed with the kids. It's the father who says to his son, you are never home on time. You are always acting irresponsibly. Now, there could be truth to all those statements. But because it uses the terms never and always, it automatically puts the person who's hearing this on defensive. And it's more times than not seen in a very negative light. You never do this. You always do that. If you're anything like me, whenever anybody tells me I never do something, you know what I automatically think? Please, oh God, give me one example of when I did it correctly. Because all I need to do is voice one that will refute the argument that's coming against me. Or if somebody says, you always do this. I say, Lord Jesus, just please give me example. When I did not do that. All I'm asking for is one stinking example. You give me one example. It refutes the argument that's coming leveled against me, right? Maybe I'm the only one here, but I think others of us do the very same thing. I've been in other crowds. I've been in other religious services, marriage conferences, things like that. And I've talked about similar things that really we need to get rid of never and always in the Christian vocabulary. When we're talking to each other, talking about each other, we would probably do well to just abort the words never and always. And inevitably, after I make a statement like that, after that service or after that conference session, there'll be somebody who comes up to me and nine times out of 10, it's a man who comes up to me. And we'll say, you told me to get rid of the word never and always, but I tell my wife, I always love you. A man did that to me one time. He came up and said that I knew him pretty well. And I looked at him and I said, you're just an idiot. I, th- I said, you know what I mean? When I'm using the word never and always, is in a negative sense. Of course you're going to tell your spouse, I'll always love you. I'm never going to leave you or abandon you. Of course you're going to say those things. And of course you better mean those things. But I'm using the term in a negative way where it's interpreted by the one listening that what's being said to me is sheerly negative. You never do this. You always do that. We would do well to get rid of those words in our Christian vocabulary, one with the other especially in a negative sense. Several years ago, I came across a study that was done by UCLA that attempted to understand how is the meaning of a message delivered? Whether it's to a person, to a crowd, to a group, how is the meaning of a message communicated? In communication, there are always three components. The verbal... The vocal, the visual. Those three components are always in communication. The verbal. It's the words that we select to say. The vocal. It's the, the rate, the punch, the pitch, the volume. It's how we say what we say. And the visual. It's the nonverbals. It's the body language. It's the hand gestures. It's the facial features. It's the eye contact. And so UCLA said, we're going to do a study and we acknowledge that there are three parts of communication. It's the verbal, it's the vocal, it's the visual. And so we want to know how is meaning communicated? Is it even a third, a third, and a third? Is there one that's more heavily weighted than the other one? And if so, which one is it? So according to their study, which I think is pretty accurate, they said That the meaning of a message is communicated only 7% in the words that are selected. Now, what we say is important. But when it comes to carrying the the weight of the message, the words we say are the least important of anything. We do have to be careful what we say. But the meaning of the message is communicated only 7% through the words that we select to say. 38% of meaning is communicated vocally. That's how we say what we say. It's the rate, it's the, the volume, it's the punch, the, it's, 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 it's the, the dynamics of the voice. 38% is communicated. So people um, hear how you're saying it before they actually hear what you're saying. But you add those two numbers together, 7 and 38%, that's, that's less than half. So that tells you that according to the UCLA, UCLA study, that 55% of meaning is communicated By nonverbals. It's the body language. It's the eye contact. It's the hand gestures. You can put this to the test and find it to be true. Because in our world of social communication, all of us have had the experience where it is difficult to understand the meaning of a text or an email. Why? Because it's just words on the screen. Words on the phone. You you read that and you think to yourself, what did he mean when he typed that? What did she mean when she wrote that? Was she happy? Was he sad? What was going on? What, what was happening in there? What, what did they mean by that? What were they looking like? Were they angry? Were they happy? How was it being communicated? And all the while you're asking... Verbal questions and visual questions because all you have are the words. You're asking vocal questions and visual questions because all you have are the actual words that are on, on, the, uh, on the screen. And that's why today, uh, all the platforms, they have other ways that you can communicate like FaceTime where you can actually see the person's face. Why do they do that? Because people understand that when you communicate, it's not just verbal, but it's visual and it's vocal. Now, nothing is better than face-to-face communication. Can I say that again? Nothing is better than face-to-face communication. Can I say it over in this direction? Nothing is better than face-to-face communication. Because nothing replaces this. Because you can hear the words, you can see how it's spoken, and you can see how the, how the uh, nonverbals are being expressed. But James would tell us, you know how powerful words are. You know how powerful communication is because it has the power to direct life, set the trajectory of life, and it has the power to destroy life. All you got to do is think about words that have been spoken to you and how hurtful and harmful they were. And you still remember them today. And they could have been spoken to you 27 years ago. And you still remember the venom with which it was spoken, the verbal vomit. You could describe to me the scenario and what he said and where he was standing and what she said and what was happening all around. And you could tell me how it was so painful because words have the power to destroy life. But ultimately, James says that words have the power to delight life. Do you know why God gave you a two-ounce slab of membrane called the tongue? The reason is so that you would praise the Lord. That's why you have a tongue. I mean, cut the tongue out of your mouth and you're mute, right? I mean, just cut the tongue out and you can't really speak all that well. The reason God gave you a tongue, he didn't have to, but the reason he gave you a tongue is not just put taste buds on there so you'd enjoy food better. The reason God gave you a tongue is so that you could praise the Lord. And praising the Lord is caught and and taught because other people see you praising the Lord and then they learn how to praise the Lord. And so your tongue is very important so that you can praise God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does James say? With the same mouth, we praise God and we curse men made in the image of God. Friend, every person you see every person you read about in human history, every person is made in the image of God. Every person is an image bearer. Every person crafted in the Imago Day, every person made in the image of God, and not even the original sin of Adam and Eve could destroy that Imago Day that stamped upon every person. So when you look at anybody, you are seeing somebody who is made in the image of our God Almighty. The person who looks like you person who doesn't look like you. Person who acts like you doesn't act like you. Person who votes like you doesn't vote like you. Person who cheers like you who doesn't cheer like you. Person who drives like you and who doesn't drive like you. The person who works like you and doesn't work like you. The person that has your same skin tone person who doesn't have your same skin tone. Every person you see anybody you see is made in the image of God. And James says with this two ounce slab of membrane We praise God and we curse men who are made in God's likeness. With our mouth, we bless the Lord and we blast our spouse. With our mouth, we sing praises unto Christ and we yell at our children as soon as we get in the car as we're leaving the church parking lot. And James says, my brothers, this should not be. You should be so inconsistent. You shouldn't, in one breath, praise the Lord. In the next breath, curse, fuss about people that are around you. The reason you have the ability to speak is so that you can praise the Lord. Listen, I know that we can talk sports. We can talk politics. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about all the things that are happening in the nation's. We can talk about what's going on in your world and my world. Can I just be really honest with you? The reason we have the capacity to speak is just to praise the Lord. And this morning, I hope that you feel the anxiety. I hope you feel the tension of the reality that God has given me a tongue to praise Him. And many times I use this mouth in ways that are vulgar in the sight of God. With this mouth, we praise Jesus, we teach the word of God, we tell somebody how to receive eternal life in Jesus Christ. And with this mouth, we pray unto our Heavenly Father who is eternal. And with this same mouth, with this same two-ounce slab of membrane, we cuss and we fuss and we scream in a television hoping that some the referees will hear us. And we scream at people that are in uh, the highway and, and not driving the way we think they ought to drive. And we're frustrated with mom and dad. And we're aggravated with our spouse and we let him know about it or we let her know about it and we put them in their place and then there's church people and boy we really get upset with church people and we tell them what for because they need to know exactly how we think all the while the reason God gave you a mouth is to praise Jesus. James says my brothers this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water both come from the same source? The answer is no. Can a fig tree bear olives? No. A fig tree bears figs. If God has given you a mouth to praise him, what ought to be the fruit of your lips? Praise unto Jesus. So for just two minutes... Before I sit down, I just want to praise the Lord. I hope that's okay with you, but even if it's not, that's all right. I'm not really doing it for you. I'm doing it for myself. And ultimately, I'm doing it for the glory of God. So I just want to spend just a couple of minutes just to use my tongue to praise the Lord. This morning I woke up, not because my alarm clock jolted me from my slumber, but because my God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, everything seen and unseen, kissed the dawn of a brand new day. My feet hit the floor. I got up out of my bed not because of the muscular system of my body which many of you think is lacking that's all right I got up out of my bed because the spirit of God raised me from that bed and this morning I am breathing air air that I did not manufacture air that I did not make air that I had no hand in creating I'm just borrowing it from the Lord he's given me some air on loan for me just to glorify him with everything that's in my lungs I came to church this morning and And I got here safely, not because I have some skill as a driver. I got here because the angelic host guided me away from harm's way. I got to church this morning and I got up this morning ready to preach, not because I have to, but because I want to see God has put a fire that's shut up in my bones and woe to me. If I don't preach, I've just got to stop just for a moment and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you Jesus for your goodness. I could be destitute. I could be in the hospital. I could be on the street corner, but God, you saw fit to raise me up this morning. Put a word on my tongue. Give me here into this house. Place me on this platform so I could just say to your lovely people, Jesus, be praised. Jesus, be praised. Thank you, Jesus, for how good you are. You brought me through some stuff. You have brought me through some things that really should have done me in, but God, you've been so good to me. I've Got to just stop and say, Thank you, Jesus. I don't think I'm the only one in the house. I think that some of you are itching to stand up and just to hoop holler and shout to use your two out slab of membrane just to say, Thank you, Jesus. 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 You are never more honoring to God than when you are using your lips to praise the Lord. You are never more honoring to God than when you use your two-ounce slab of membrane in your mouth called your tongue just to simply say, thank you, Jesus. May we be a people Who not only know our creator, but we know why we've been created. For us simply to say, thank you, Jesus, with our lips and with our lives. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. And Lord, there may be somebody listening to my voice. Who does not know you as Savior and Lord. And today I pray that they will voice those words that are packed with meaning. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh, Father, I pray that today salvation is found in many hearts and minds. Help that person to come forward to take one of the pastors by the hand and say, I have now called on this Jesus to be my savior and Lord. But oh, Father, I must confess there are far too many of us And instead of using our lips to praise, we use our lips in destructive ways. And we need to come to you this morning in repentance and say, God, please put a guard over my mouth. Put a door over my lips. Help me to direct life, not destroy it. Help me to delight in you not to curse others made in your image. Oh, Father, we acknowledge that our problem is not a lip problem, it's a heart problem. Out of the overflow of our heart, we speak. So Lord Jesus, please put your truth in our hearts so that your truth will be upon our lips. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen.